Welcome to God Talk with Tara. I'm Tara. Um, we are going to begin with prayer as always, and then we're going to dive in. Father God, thank you so much for the day. Thank you for blessings. Thank you for my amazing husband, whose birthday it was today. Um, thank you for the gift of him, Lord God, and the gift of family and being able to be with those we love. I pray, Lord, that you would pour out here in this space tonight, that you would fill us, Father, with your spirit that you would go before the words that you have given me to open ears and minds and hearts to hear what you have to say tonight. I pray, Lord, that you would make me small and that you would magnify Jesus in the words that we speak. And I just pray, God, that I would be a vessel for your presence tonight and every night, that I would be a, a place, Lord, where you pour through and pour into and and pour back out of, Father God, so that the world around me would encounter the living Christ. Father, I pray that you would just carry the message that you have tonight wherever it needs to go, whenever it needs to get there, um, and that you would bless all those who hear. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, I had, um, I've been working with a group of people for, I guess it's 31 weeks now. Um through a book called The Next Methodism. I mentioned I'm a Methodist. Uh, Y'all are going to get sick of hearing that one. Um, and this book is basically about some of the pitfalls that the United Methodist Church has fallen into and some of the ways that the new global Methodist Church and any new Methodist movement will need to really kind of look at how the institutionalization of the church has become an impediment for the movement of God and the gospel going forward and the building up of the kingdom. So each week we kind of go through one chapter that focuses on different aspects of the Methodist movement in the past or possibilities in the future, things that we could maybe do differently, um, do better than have been done in the past, protect against some of the ways that corruption sets in and in institutional organizations, just a lot of different things. Um, and today we came to a topic that is near and dear to my heart, actually. So we came to a topic that this week was on band meetings and classes. And for those of you who are not Methodists, you probably have no idea what that is and maybe think we're trying to, you know, start up a new music group. And that's really not what it's about. Um, so in the early Methodist movement, one of the core practices of the Methodists were that they had to participate in class meetings. That was a requirement that you would be part of a group of 10 to 12 people that would gather once a week and you would generally be assigned into those groups and you would share with one another how God was prospering your soul. You would share with one another how you were doing with the practices of the ordinances of God, as Wesley put it. Um, and you would discuss how you were doing with maintaining the three rule, rules, which we have shortened them in this day and age to be do no harm, do good, and um, stay in love with God. There was a little more detail, and I prefer Wesley's versions, but I don't have them in front of me. So... If you look up the three rules, you'll see a little bit more detail about what he had in mind. Now, 
one of the, the things about the early Methodist movement is what you would see was transformation. And this came up yesterday as I was in our second meeting of a new class meeting that we had just started up with a couple of people from our church. Um, and the question of what transformation means in that context had come up. So we look at Christian faith in a very academic sense, oftentimes in the American church. And understanding and knowing God is important. And we're going to get a little bit to that. It is important to know about God. It's important to understand our scripture. It's important to have a growing and thriving and developing intellectual understanding of who God is and what that means in our lives. But it is just as important to have a practical lived faith, that our faith has an impact on the life that we live, and that as we exercise faith, as we exercise the belief that God is good and just and righteous, that he frees us from our sins, that we are to follow him in obedience and walk in the way that Christ walked, that when Christ says to us that we are forgiven, to forgive those who have harmed us, he means that. That when he says to us, we're not supposed to grumble, he means that. When he says to us that to be angry with your brother is to commit murder in your heart, we believe that. When he says that to have lust in your heart is to have committed adultery, we believe that. We believe the things that the scripture tells us God has commanded, and we order our lives in such a way to live according to the commands of Christ. That is what being a disciple is. So if you look at the Great Commission and you look in, in Matthew at the Great Commission, what Jesus said is to go and make disciples, teaching them or baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. So the point of making a disciple, the way that you make disciples is to obey what God and what Christ has commanded. And the way that you are a disciple is to obey what Christ has commanded. And so it's important for us to know what Christ has commanded, right? And it is important for our lives to reflect the commitment we have to that belief and to that faith. And when it doesn't, there's a problem. And so what Wesley had done in the early Methodist movement was to develop these classes that would allow for people to come together and to practice following God, to practice the things that would draw them close to God, that would help them learn to be obedient. So some of the ordinances of God, as they, they call it, so instead of um, stay in love with God, Wesley would have said the third rule was to attend upon the ordinances of God. And some of the ordinances of God were things like public proclamation of scripture, where you would be reading um, or studying scripture in public or expounding on scripture in public. Um, public and private prayer. You would pray together corporately and you would pray together individually. Fasting and abstinence were considered ordinances of God, helping the poor, 
was considered an ordinance of God. Taking communion was considered an ordinance of God. All of these were something that Wesley called means of grace. They were a way for the people of God to encounter the risen Christ. And in those encounters, the people of God would be transformed by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so one of the critical factors for a Methodist was to perpetually be in pursuit of encounter with God through the means that the Lord had given in scripture for his people to encounter him. Um, and so we were talking about this this morning, and I think one of the things that really struck me in the conversation is we have misunderstood deeply what the church is, and we have tried very hard to condense all of the things that the church is supposed to do into a very brief period of time. Because rather than preaching and teaching that our lives are supposed to be ordered in such a way that everything we do all the time draws us closer to God, we have ourselves ordered in such a way that we're supposed to go to church on Sunday mornings and maybe on Wednesday evenings. Um, and that's really all there is to it, that that is watching over one another in love and that that is being um, obedient to Christ is to show up to church on Sunday morning and to show up to church on Wednesday night and to tithe and maybe to watch our language or, you know, some other self-help program to ask us to behave a little bit better. But we're not really looking for transformation because for us to look for transformation would require a far greater commitment than most of us are willing to give. So that's one of the things that comes up when we talk about classes and bands. Um, in the early Methodist movement, those were required. So literally John Wesley used to give people tickets that you would get a ticket for the class meeting that you went to. And if you had four tickets, you could go to the, the, the love feast that they would have that month um, where they would gather together in a communal meal of celebration and praise and worship. Um, if you did not continue to go to your class meetings for any length of time, in other words, if you missed, I want to say it was like, if you missed three meetings in a three month period of time, and you did not give an account of why that met an acceptable reason. So if you're really sick or something like that, that might be an acceptable reason. But if you just hadn't been showing up and you were unwilling to recommit to following the expectations and the demands of being a Methodist, then you would be removed from the Methodist society that you were part of. Now you could be reinstated, but only if you recommitted to being at your class meetings um, and recommitted to being in pursuit of God, being in practice of the ordinances of God, being in practice of do no harm and do good. So in the modern church, there is no real expectation for the people of God to follow that path. You, if you suggest to people in the modern church that 
there should be a requirement for people to commit to participating in a transformational small group of some kind that would require them to participate every week in this this group and that if they failed to do so they could be removed from the church you would have a riot people get all upset they are like how dare you require me to do something like or I might be willing, but we can't require people to do things like that. We have to be welcoming and we have to be open as a church to have people come in and we want to reach the lost. And we, we can't have that kind of requirement because it will drive people away. And it's an interesting dichotomy because they're not wrong. In a society that has a really serious problem with commitment, and our society really does have a serious problem with commitment, requiring people to do something can be a very tricky thing. At the same time, a Christianity that does not demand anything of you, number one, is not Christianity, and number two, is actually not appealing to those who are seeking God. Because at an instinctive level, we understand that God demands from us. So the message of the free gift of grace that Christianity so frequently preaches these days without the message of repentance, without the, the message of sin and forgiveness, without the message that it's not free, that it costs Jesus everything, costs God everything, um, it is hollow. And people don't respond well to that. There's something missing and they know it. And so for us to be unwilling and unable to make demands on people and to require commitment from people actually impedes our ability to attract people that are genuinely searching for God. Worse than that, it impedes our ability to help people who have come into our churches to grow in faith. And that is the point of a church. The point of a church is not to make converts. It's not to get people to sign their little cards that say that they have prayed a prayer. It is not to get butts in the seat and have members. The point of a church is to make disciples, which includes telling them the gospel, helping walk them through repentance, helping them to know they need God, and then once they have accepted Jesus, helping them to live a life that reflects that commitment and decision. And in order for that to happen, we need the community of other believers that will show us what it looks like to grow up in faith. And I think this is where we've messed up. So we're going to look for just a second at, um, at some scripture tonight. So and we're going to look at Hebrews 5. At the end of Hebrews 5, the author is a little bit um, critical of the people he's speaking to. He says, about this, we have much to say. So he's talking here about Jesus being the, the new priesthood, the designate of Melchizedek, and um, that he is a high priest of a different order than the Aaronic priesthood. And it says about this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, 
For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, I'm going to go on a little bit into Hebrews 6 because this is the passage most people um, come to. And it's important for us to sort of get the whole context. So in 6, we pick up, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washing, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits, for it is impossible in the case of uh, those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gifts and have shared in the Holy Spirit. And we're going to stop there because this goes into concepts of, of being able to lose grace and, um, that is not the topic for tonight. That is not to say that won't be, but at some point, but this is not that night. Tonight, we're talking about maturity. And so what the author of Hebrews is talking about here is that the people he is speaking to have become stunted. They have become stuck in a childish understanding of faith that keeps coming back to the elementary doctrines of Christ, the very, very basics, the foundations of repentance and faith toward God and washing and, and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. These are things that are elementary. A child should know those, but we should move past those and feed on the meat of the scripture in order to be able to comprehend the grown-up things of God. So that's one passage on this. And then we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we are going to start um, in verse 3. No, sorry, we're going to start in verse 6. Paul says, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. He's been talking about how he, you know, spoke very simply among the, the Corinthians, he kept his, uh, my speech and my message were not in uh, plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So he talks about how the, the gospel is not necessarily about philosophically deep speeches. It's not about lofty speech or lofty human wisdom. It is about Jesus Christ and it is about the power of God and that that is where your focus needs to be. But it then goes on to say, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had... They would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. And so we're going to stop there again. So what we see here is that Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church and he's speaking them in a to them in a way that differentiates between two different kinds of people that you might find in a gathering of believers so on the one hand you have 
people who are new in faith, and this is where kind of the people, the, the Hebrews author is also speaking. You have people who are new in faith or are not yet in the faith at all who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need to hear the basics. So they need to hear that there is sin in the world, that all of us sin and fall short of the glory of God, that the God, that God sent Christ to save us from that sin, that the invitation through the crucifixion has been extended to all people, and that the invitation is that we recognize our sin, repent from it, and accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that Jesus saves us from our sins and becomes our Lord so that we can be obedient to the Most High God and that we can live in reconciliation and harmony with him. And so that's the basics of Christian faith, right? But the problem is, is if we just keep talking about that and nothing more, so I think um, this is always a bit of a frustration to me. So we come into a Sunday morning service and at some point in the service, we ask everybody in the congregation to say the sinner's prayer so that we don't make people uncomfortable. And we say a prayer that basically states that I need to be saved again and again and again, that I am a child that I don't know any better yet. And so we ask our congregations to stay in a state of arrested development as we preach every Sunday morning to a immature audience or an audience that is not a believer yet and is immature in their faith if they have already come to God. And we don't preach the deep things of God. We don't preach the revelations of God. We don't preach what moves past the elementary doctrines of Jesus Christ into what does it look like for believers to walk in faith. What does it look like for the Holy Spirit to indwell believers? What does it look like for us to love one another well? What does it look like for us to truly follow Jesus? Do we understand that that's not a Sunday and Wednesday thing? That that is an every day, all the time, every moment, that there is nothing of you left that belongs to you that all you are belongs to Jesus Christ and you are at his service. And as such, he puts a spirit in you to draw you into a place where you have been transformed into being an effective evangelist, an effective ambassador for the kingdom of God, that you have become an effective advocate for those who are new to the faith to learn how to walk in righteousness and how to follow the commands of Jesus Christ. Well, if we're going to do that, we need to understand, number one, the commitment level that that requires. But our pastors frequently don't preach that. And honestly, that might not be an incorrect uh, approach if you believe that most of the people sitting in front of you on a, on a Sunday morning are people who have never heard of Jesus and are not at a point where they have accepted the Lordship of Christ in their lives. But if you are a pastor who is preaching to the congregation that is 
primarily been your congregation for weeks, months, years, then you should be preaching the mature things. You should be passing on wisdom to those who are mature because that is what your congregation needs. Now, the problem is once you start getting up into, you know, a couple hundred people, it becomes difficult to gauge what your congregation needs because it's difficult to gauge where people are in their faith walk. And so the means for dealing with that is to recognize that within the church, there are going to be different functions. And I think this is where we lose track. And this is one of the things that I like about Methodism. I know that there are other uh, denominational resources. I know that a lot of the non-denominational churches have small group type things set up to try to accommodate this reality that there are different stages that people go through, that there are different needs that people have. But I like the Wesleyan way because it explains in a lot of respects where we need to focus. So a class meeting was actually where a new believer would have the opportunity to ask questions. It was a space where a new believer or a non-believer would be given the opportunity to encounter Jesus Christ, that they would be given the opportunity to be told who Jesus was and why he was important and about repentance. And they would be able to be told that not necessarily in an informational setting where they were doing a Bible study, although you would look at scripture, but they were being exposed to that in a setting where people were speaking about doing no harm, doing good, and attending on the ordinance of God. And they were speaking about how is the Lord prospering your soul this week? They were speaking about, in other words, transformational faith and how God was moving to bring about transformation. This is the most effective way for people who do not believe in God or people who are very new to the faith to understand who God is and how he moves. Our testimony our testimony about what God is doing and has done in our lives is the most effective tool we have to glorify the Lord and show people what it looks like to walk by faith. And as we do that, that is an invitation all on its own to draw people into relationship with Jesus Christ. So the point of the class meetings was actually twofold. So first, it was that open space where people could build relationships strong enough to allow them to ask the questions that would draw them to a saving faith. And the second was to allow people to learn how to testify to what God was doing. So in other words, it was a maturing space. The point of the class meetings were to assist those who were believers in God, particularly new believers in God, to grow in their faith, to observe what God was doing, to observe where they were struggling with sin so that the Lord could bring transformation. So that was the class meeting and the class meeting went in two different directions. So in one direction, you would go and as long as you were active in your class meetings, you would have an opportunity to go to what they called society meetings or 
society fellowships. And those would be a time for the believers in Christ, the believers in Jesus to glorify the Lord, to worship to, with one another, um, and to celebrate who God was. And then the other direction. So that would be a, a going into a larger group to gather together as the people of God to glorify God. The other side of that would be going into smaller groups. So you might join a band meeting coming out of a class meeting, and it would be an additional small meeting that you were in. And the purpose of the bands was to go deeper in transformative understanding. So once you had reached a level of accepting Christ and accepting his lordship and working on allowing the Holy Spirit to come in and transform you, once you had begun to move along that path, there was a, a meeting type that was designed to facilitate radical transformation in your life, that was designed to facilitate the rooting out of sin and the embrace of the Holy Spirit to the point where it would change all of you in that process. And that was what the band meetings were for. That was the place where you would ask one another, how are you sinning? How is it prospering with your soul? But how are you sinning? Where are you falling short? Where are you seeing God? And you would ask these things, not in a manner of criticism and not in a manner of beating one another over the head, but in a manner of confidence, a manner of protecting one another and loving one another well, so that you could hold one another to account for the things that you were struggling with and that you needed help with, so that you could help each other turn from sin and flee the wrath to come um, and turn toward God. And so that was the point of the band meetings and then again you would come together as the society meetings and celebrate as a family now it's interesting because that would be more like what we would think of as a sunday morning service and it was not targeted towards seekers it was targeted toward believers people who had committed to the church, who had committed to one another, who had committed to living in community. And as that community, they were seeking to grow in Christ. So where did evangelism come in? Was Because we know that part of this was also missional. Um, and I don't know the answer to that from the history, like what would be, what would be, what it would be called. But one of the things that you do see regularly in the early Methodist movement, um, I think that probably would have been the invitation for people to join was that Whitfield and Wesley and Charles Wesley would be out in fields preaching wherever there were people, they would go and they would preach. And in those instances where you had those large gatherings that were likely not Christians, but you didn't know, but you were figuring that there was going to be a lot of not Christians because it wasn't your regular congregation. That is where you would hear the gospel message being preached over and over. So in Hebrews, that would be where you're getting, you know, the milk um, is being imparted at this point in time. They're just talking about milk and elementary doctrine. And they're doing that because they know in those circumstances, we haven't come to maturity yet, right? We're, we're laying the foundation that we're doing the thing we're supposed to be doing in that instance with people who are not already a part of our church. 
we're laying the foundation of who Jesus is. We're laying the foundation of the gospel of repentance and dead works and faith towards God. We do need to lay that foundation for people. And sometimes we forget that too. So we, we tend to jump back and forth in the American church where we are either all focused inward on what the people already in the church need, or we are all focused outward and we fail miserably at teaching people how to be disciples and how to love one another and how to do the things we need to do as Christians to change our lives and to allow for the Holy Spirit to move and change in us. So I think as we kind of move forward as Christians, as we look at the things that we're doing, as we look at the structures of our churches and our lives, we really need to come to the place where we understand, first of all, that Christianity is not a part-time gig. You can't just be a Christian on Sunday morning and on Wednesday. It doesn't work that way. Christianity is allowing the Lord of the universe to come inhabit you with his Holy Spirit and transform you. And you do this by giving all of yourself, good, bad, and ugly, giving all of yourself to the Holy Spirit and to God to use as they see fit for eventually your good, but mostly for their glory because that's what we're here for. We're here to be ambassadors and glorify the Lord who, who sent us. Um, and we need to, to help people understand the commitment that that takes. We need to help put them in groups that will allow them to help one another to grow. And then we need to figure out how we have more than one kind of, of larger group gathering how we have those society type meetings where the focus is not on milk, but on meat. It is on providing the foundation for the people to grow on um, that goes beyond the elementary doctrines. It is teaching how to read scripture. It is teaching how to pray at home with your family and how to pray with other people. It is teaching all the ordinances of God so that as we grow in faith, we will be able to multiply the kingdom through the things we do because we have become mature Christians who are capable of understanding what it is that God has done and communicating that in ways that help other people to grow. So I think we, we need to look at that. We need to determine how do we have those elements? How do we have the small groups that don't just teach us about God, but teach us genuinely to love God and love our neighbors? How do we have the larger groups that are not just focused on my boyfriend, Jesus and me, they're not just focused on um, appealing to the culture around us. They are focused on helping us to grow in faith. I think that the Lord is doing things in those particular areas, and I am looking forward to see what those things are. Um, so I think I'll leave us there tonight. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that you call us to be mature Christians who love you well. We ask that you would be with your people tonight and help us, Lord God, to love you with all that we are, to recognize that 
You are not asking us for an hour in the morning on a Sunday and an hour on a Wednesday night that you have asked us, Lord, to commit all that we are to building your kingdom and to being submitted to you. That as we commit that, Father God, you will honor it and you will bless it. We ask this, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Be blessed and be a blessing.